Good morning, church. Andrew here. We are in week number two of the series, Tomorrowland, Facing a Future Without Fear. And what we're doing is we're walking through the New Testament letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. For sake of time, if you have not uh, caught last week, uh, I would invite you to go back and check out that, that sermon or go to Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, and you'll begin to see where this, this church was established. It was a church in a Greek port city called Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy were part of helping um, get this church off the ground and were invested in these believers. And so Paul is writing to these believers in Thessalonica. And this is, this is what we're talking about in this book of 1 Thessalonians. You know, right now with this, this COVID-19 uh, pandemic that we're dealing with, there, there are some folks, and I know you're aware of this, that are, are more high risk to contract the virus. For example, there's some folks who have a weaker immune system. Now, what that means is when you have a weaker immune system, you're more susceptible to illness. And, and spiritually speaking, th there are some factors that contribute to us living with fear, being more susceptible to fear dominating our lives and, and having fear concerning the future in particular. And as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, which we're going to do today, what we see is a group of Christ followers who lived with great faith. You know, they, they did have some doubts and some fears and uncertainty about what the future held, but ultimately they had built up some resistance to this fear of the future. And what Paul is doing in this letter is he is encouraging them and he is reassuring and comforting them in their certain hope that Christ is coming back. Amidst all the affliction that they're facing, the uncertainty that is a part of, of life, there is a certainty that they have that, that Jesus Christ is returning. And so over and over through these two epistles, Paul is pointing to them back to this hope that they have. And what I want to do, my hope is that in the midst of this, this series, as we move through these eight chapters of First and Second Thessalonians, is that, that we can kind of maybe build up some resistance in our lives against this fear of the future. And, and so the question is, how can we strengthen our faith? How can we increase our immunity to fear? How can we build up a, a gospel immunity or resistance to fear? And, and that's what I want to look at today. Not eliminate completely fear from our life. I mean, that would be great, right? But how can we minimize it? How can we build up a resistance to a fear of the future? And so let me, let me start in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's, let's read through the first 12 verses. What we're going to do... Uh, over the next few minutes is we're going to divide this sermon up into two parts. One, part one is how Paul and Silas and Timothy, how they came to the Thessalonians, how they kind of formed the church there, how they came. And then part two is how the Thessalonians responded to them and their coming. So looking at part number one, how Paul and company came to them, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. 
Paul writes this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, and he, he's, he's referring back to the, the events of Acts chapter 16. Before they came to Thessalonica, there was, they were proclaiming the gospel in, in Philippi, and there was a lot, of, a lot of persecution going on there. And so he, he refers to that. Although we faced all of that and we suffered, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But, verse 7, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and exhorted you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so part one, how Paul came to them. There's four things that I just want to cover kind of quickly, and we could spend so much time here, and I wish we could, but, but I want to spend more time on part two. But how did Paul come to them? How did he form the church there? How did he minister to them and bring the gospel to them? Here, here, here's the four things I want to talk about. Number one, they brought the gospel. They brought the gospel. He, he, he begins to tell them how we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God, verse number two. In verse number three, he says, we, we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And so Paul says we had this boldness, not in our flesh or in our ability and anything else. We had boldness in our God to declare the gospel to you. Where did this boldness come from? He tells us, he says, it comes from this, this realization that We've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. In other words, there's this precious message of good news that God wants to get to the whole world. And he's approved of us. He's signed off on this and said, I approve of you and I'm entrusting you with this precious news. I'm entrusting you with us. Here it is. Now be faithful with it. And so Paul says, we have this boldness because we, we see this, this mission that we've been given from God. He's entrusted us with the good news of the gospel. And now we have this boldness to declare it to you because we want to please God, not, not anybody else, not you, not any others. We want to please God because he's entrusted us with this mission. And so the very first thing he says is we brought the gospel 
we brought you exactly what you needed. We brought the gospel. But then second, he says that they brought the gospel with gentleness. They brought the gospel with gentleness. And we see verses 7 and 8, Paul compares it, his coming to them. He says, we, we came to you like a, a gentle, like a nursing mother taking care of her own kids. Now, one of the ways I will not compare this is to like, quarantine mamas in 2020, right? Taking care of their kids because I know it's not always gentle, right? Um, and, and, and that's okay. There's grace and I, I feel for you and you dads as well that are at home with all your kiddos just stuck together 24-7. It's not always gentle, right? But Paul says, the way that we came to you, we came boldly proclaiming this gospel. But listen, he says this, boldness does not equal brashness. There wasn't this arrogance or this pompous attitude, this pride. No, boldness does not equal brash. Think about a mother's tenderness. He says that we were affectionately desirous of you. We didn't want to share the gospel only, but our own lives, our, our very souls, all of us, we were, we were bringing to the table. We weren't just giving you what you needed, but we were gentle and tender and loving. Why? Because you became very dear to us. Because we loved you. And so we had this message of good news that we were bringing to you, but we brought it with, with gentleness. Because the reality is, and you know this, people don't receive the gospel when we try to boldly cram it down their throat, right? That's not how it works. Kind of reminds me of old Mary Poppins song, how, you know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, right? And we're not talking about sugarcoating the, the message of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that we are sinners, but Jesus, God in all of his love, came to us in the person of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And he came and he laid down his life on the cross. He died for our sins in order to offer us forgiveness of sins and peace with God. And through his death and his burial and his resurrection, we can have forgiveness of sins, peace with God, and eternal life. That is the good news of the gospel. We don't want to sugarcoat that, but we want to coat it with the, the sugar of, of gentleness, of, of a loving, tender spirit, like a nursing mother with her child. And Paul says, that's how we came to you. Number three. He says that they also, they brought the gospel, not just with gentleness, but they brought it with holiness. In verses 9 and 10, and, and you can look at it on your own again, but he says, you know, we worked our tails off. We worked tirelessly not to be a burden to you while we we're proclaiming the gospel. But you are a witness of how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was before you. In other words, he says our lives were, were holy we lived pure lives because you see, sharing the gospel is a show and tell activity. It's a show and tell activity. It's not just about telling them the good news of the gospel. It's about showing people the good news of the gospel through holy lives, through the way in which we live. 
the way in which we bring the message of the gospel. You know, there's a lot of comparisons and contrasts spiritually that we can make between this coronavirus and the gospel, okay? And, and I know some of you might be like, man, you're, this preacher talk, you're, you're, you're stretching it a little bit, but hey, I'm entitled to that, okay? Um, let's compare and contrast for a second. Both are infectious, life-changing agents, Okay, they both infect and they spread, right? They're both viral. One, one weakens and kills the coronavirus while the other strengthens and gives life. That's the gospel. One way to prevent the spread of, of the coronavirus, and you know this, is to wash your hands, right? Washy washy. <laughs> My wife and I, Annette, we went on this cruise a couple weeks ago and we heard that over and over. Washy washy. Washy washy before you yummy yummy. You know, just this whole like, you know, um, brainwashing of wash your hands. You have to have clean hands because you don't want to spread the germs. And so one way to, to, to prevent the spread of the virus is to have clean hands. But in contrast, the way in which we spread the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is by having clean hands. We prevent the spread of the virus through having clean hands, but we actually spread the virus of the gospel. We spread the good news of the gospel by having clean hands. And when I say that, I'm referring to what the Bible calls clean hands, and that means a clean life clean conduct, a pure, holy life before God. Job 17.9, Job says, he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. In other words, when we conduct our lives in a holy and righteous and blameless way, when we continually repent and eliminate sin from our life and have clean hands, our, our hands aren't dirty, we grow stronger and stronger. Psalm 24.4 says that he who's who comes before the Lord is able to stand on his holy hill and his presence is he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Y'all, the way that we spread the good news of the gospel is not just by, by declaring it with our mouths, but by showing it through pure holy lives, by having clean hands. And Paul says, this is the way that we came to you with clean hands, with holy lives. Number four, fourth thing, they brought the gospel with exhortation, with exhortation. You know, Paul says we came, we were gentle like nursing mothers, but then he kind of goes to fathers and he says, we, we exhorted you like loving fathers. We, 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 we came alongside you and we encouraged you and we, we, we challenged you. We, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. You see, we can't just be gentle and kind and we can't just have clean lives. We have to actually speak the good news. We have to proclaim the good news, the message of the good news, the gospel. It's like a coach. If a coach is going to pull the best out of you, if a coach is going to pull the best out of me, at some point he has to challenge us. He has to call us out. He has to speak truth to us. And Paul says, I, I, I came to you gentle 
loving, tender, like a nursing mother. We came with holy, pure lives, but we also came like a, an exhorting father who challenged you and called you to live in a manner that is worthy of God. And we called you to that. We called you to, to, to rise to the level of a follower of Christ, that the light of Christ would shine through you. We, we challenged you in that. And so here's how Paul and company came. They, they, they brought the gospel. They brought the gospel with gentleness. They brought the gospel with holiness. And they brought the gospel with exhortation. That's part one. Well, part two, and this is where I really want to focus in on for the next few minutes. How did the Thessalonians respond? How did they respond to their bringing of the gospel? And we already got a glimpse of this in chapter one. We're really just kind of rehashing what, what Paul talked about in chapter one. First Thessalonians two, I want to read verses 13 through 16. Paul goes on here to say, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. How did the Thessalonians respond? Let me give you the three things and then we'll, we'll walk through for the next couple minutes. Number one, he says you received the word of God. Number two, you became imitators of the churches of God. And then number three, you suffered. So number one, he says you received the word of God. He says, I thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. And so he says, you received what we said. You received the word of God, not as, as, as the word of men. So we got to differentiate. He, he said you were, able to, you were able to receive what we said. You were able to tell that this was not just words from men. This was actually what it really is. It's the word of God. You received it as words from the living and true God. And it's this word of God that is at work in you, that works in you you. And don't miss this. He, said, he says you receive the word of God because here is, here is the truth of what Paul is saying is that when you and I receive it, when we put the word of God into us, it works in us. It works in us. And, and, and what I mean by when we receive it, we don't just, we, we, we read it, we take it in, but we receive it, we welcome it. We absorb it. We allow it to take root in us. We don't just read it and check it off. Man, we absorb it. We, we allow it to, 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 to find its place in us. We dwell in Him and He in us. Because when we do that, 
when we receive the word, it works in us. He says, this is the word that is in, at work in you. Because the flip, the opposite is true. That if we never receive it, if we don't absorb it, if we don't put it into us, if we don't allow it to come into us, to every, every nook and cranny of our being, if we don't allow it to come in, then it will not work in us. It will not work in us. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing or to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The writer of Hebrews says the word of God, it's living, it's active, it is working. It pierces, it divides, it, it discerns, it, it does its work in you. It does spiritual surgery in you like a sword, like a two-edged scalpel or sword. And what Paul says is, you know, we came to you with the gospel. We came gentle and with holy lives and exhorting like fathers. But the important thing is that you received it. You absorbed it. You allowed it in. And that's what's doing the work in you. Even though we had to leave the city, even though we couldn't spend a lot of time building it, building into you and helping you and, and, and pointing you in the right direction, you receive the word of God and it is doing its work in you more than we could ever do. The word of God, you receive the word of God. Number two, he says, you became imitators of the churches of God. You became imitators. In other words, you, you, you followed our lead. You imitated us. It's kind of reiterating what Paul said at another time to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of, of Christ. Paul says, follow me. Follow my, my example. Be, imi be an imitator of, of me. In fact, when you look back at 1 Thessalonians 1, the passage we looked at last week, verses 5 to 7, Paul says this, Because... Our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And he's just saying the same thing in chapter two. We lived holy and blameless and righteous lives. Verse six, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He says, you, you received the word and then you became imitators of us. And then you moved on from not just being imitators of us, but you became examples to everyone else. This is, this is how we grow in Christ. We receive the word. We allow it to do its work in us. Day in and day out, we become imitators of, of, of Paul and of other followers of God, of the churches of God that we have examples of. And then we, we move from being imitators to examples. We move from imitating to being examples. You know, the way that I came to faith in Christ, I came late in, in high school, I had no no Christian examples really around me. And so I came to faith in Christ as a 16, 17 year old 
lost, confused young man. And I believe by the grace of God, at least this is what I hope is true, is that I have over the years become an example. That's my hope, is that I'm an example worth following, an example of the gospel. But you know how I became an example to follow? You know how I can confidently, by the grace of God again, be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ? It's because I was first an imitator of the godly men that gave me an example of a holy and righteous and blameless life to follow. Peers and adults and others who are older than me and, and down the road from me spiritually, and they gave me an example to follow, and I, I imitated them. I wanted to be like them because I saw Christ in them. And now what happens is I become an imitator and now hopefully an example. And so my question is, who, who's been your example? Or maybe right now, who is your example? Or even beyond that, who are you? How are you being an example to others? Paul says you received the word and then you became imitators. And then number three, he says you suffered. You suffered. And what Paul begins to talk about is that the Thessalonians, they suffered affliction and, and persecution, much like Jesus did. And, and the prophets, and Paul says, like, like us, like when we got kind of run out of town and the, the persecution that we experienced, and now you're, you're experiencing that as well. You're, you're suffering. You're suffering. And I got to tell you this, what the Bible says for those of us that are followers of, of Christ, that following Christ does not guarantee a pain-free life. On the contrary, it actually guarantees a painful life. We're not exempt from pain. In fact, we may be more aware, more acutely aware of the pain that we experience. It does not guarantee a pain-free life, but... Listen to me now. It provides peace that we could never, ever, ever experience any other way. And following Christ does not guarantee a pain-free life, but it provides peace that we could never experience apart from the God of peace. The Bible over and over calls the Lord Jehovah God, the God of peace. And the way that we experience peace is not through the absence of affliction, not through the absence of suffering. No, no, no. It's through the presence of Christ in us. So yes, we will suffer, but we can experience peace in the midst of it. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 33, he says, I've said these things to you. In other words, I've given you my word to receive. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Because in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will suffer and deal with affliction. But take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, I have given you my word so that you would receive it and that in me you would have peace. So that in the midst of the tribulation that you will encounter, you would be able to take heart because I have overcome the world I have overcome all of it. 
And so Paul, he points us to, 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 to this, this idea of suffering. In, in verse 16, don't, don't miss this. He says, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Because here's what happens in, in suffering. When you and I go through suffering, our enemy always intends for suffering to silence us. The enemy always intends for suffering to silence us. But our God always intends for suffering to be a shout out to his glory. Always. God wants our suffering to be a shout out to his glory. C.S. Lewis said this one time. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Listen, y'all, the worst thing that we could do, the worst thing that you and I can do in the midst of suffering is to allow it to silence us. That is the worst thing that we could do. People cannot, listen, people cannot come to Christ if we shut our mouths. They will never experience peace if suffering shuts us up. And so we cannot allow our suffering to silence us. We've got to speak up. We've got to shout out to the glory of God because even in affliction, we can give God glory. Amen. Amen. So how do we, how do we build up a resistance against fear? How do we live in a world that's paralyzed by fear of the future? We do what the Thessalonians did. We receive the word of God. We, we, we take in more and more of the word of God. It is the only thing that allows us to abide in Christ and to have his peace. We've got to receive the word of God. We've got to become imitators of Paul and of the churches. We've, we've got to begin to show and, and share the gospel with others. And third, we've, we're, we're going to suffer, but we we shout out in the midst of that. We, we, we shout out. We don't let suffering drive us away from God or allow it to silence us. But we have to allow our suffering to give us opportunity to shout out to the goodness and the glory of God, even in the midst of affliction. And so the bottom line today is this. The way to build up resistance to future fear is by receiving the word of God and being rooted in Christ We'd be like the Thessalonians. We've got to receive the word of God and become rooted in Christ. And that's how we build up this gospel resistance to future fear. You know, follower of Jesus, uh, let me talk to you for a second. You know, what is the very worst thing that could happen to you? The very worst thing that could happen to you is that you would die and that immediately you would enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 28, he says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so the reality is this, a virus can touch your body, but a virus can never, ever touch your soul. But... 
But listen, if you would receive the word of God, if you were to receive Jesus Christ, the son of God, he can touch your soul and change your eternity forever. He gives you life and he gives life eternal. And when you receive him, he receives you. And so if you are a follower of Christ today, we can take heart. We can take heart knowing that in him we can have peace and he has overcome the world. And so let me challenge you all, followers of Jesus, let's receive his word more. Let's use the time, the extra time that we may have in these days not to find ways to waste our time, but to receive his word, to be imitators and to be examples. And then in our suffering to shout out to his glory. And maybe, you know, this, this morning or whenever you're listening to or watching this, maybe you're outside of a relationship with God. You have never you have never put your faith in Christ. And, and I would say this, if there's a lack of peace in your life, it's because there is a lack of Christ in you. And so I would encourage you, I mean, I would challenge you, I would beg you this morning to receive the good news of the gospel, that God loves you. And even in your sin, Christ came and died for you in order to forgive you of your sins and to give you peace with God. And so if you would put your faith in the person and the work of Christ this morning, all it requires is, is, is belief in your heart and confession with your mouth. And so I would encourage you today to call out and say, God, would you forgive me of my sin? I put my faith in you and I trust you as Lord and Savior. And for all of us, may we by our absorbing and receiving the word of God, by our, our continued day by day faith in Christ, would we allow him and our rootedness in him to build up resistance in us to fear? Because one thing is certain that Jesus is Lord and he is returning soon. Amen. And so Father God, today, uh, I do wanna thank you for your goodness and your grace the fact that we can be recipients of the good news of the gospel, that you are no respecter of persons, regardless of our past or our present. God, there is a future that calls out to us, and it's a future of peace and hope, and it's found in Christ alone. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody that's watching or listening today that has never put their trust in you, that has never surrendered their life to you. God, I pray that today would be the day that they would surrender to you. God, that they have, if they have questions, that they would reach out to us, that they would reach out to somebody that they know. God, that today would be the day that they submit themselves to you. And God, for all of us, I pray that this would be a season, even in whatever uh, degree, whatever degree of suffering or affliction we may be facing. Maybe it's just loneliness. Maybe it's uh, being affected by this virus. Maybe it's a struggle with um, sin or whatever it is that we're dealing with. God, in, in, in whatever place that we find ourselves, would you help today to be a turning point? where we repent 
that we would turn to you in faith, that we would submit our hearts and all of our stuff to you. Lord, that you would exchange it for a peace that only you can give us. God, would you, would you give us opportunities in this season to show and to share the light of the gospel? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.